we're going to be this morning uh, heading back to a series that we've been in here for about four weeks now called Identity, Who Am I? And so I'm going to ask you, who are we? All right, so we know based on the scriptures that God has extended forgiveness towards us, that all people can be forgiven. Okay, anything else we are? Ma'am? We're a child of God. So last week we said we've been adopted. That our father went to the counter and laid the money down on the counter and said, I'll pay for these children. I want them to be mine. All right, so we've said that we're adopted, that we're forgiven. We've said that we've been lavishly loved, right? So God has extended this kind of immeasurable love our direction. What was the A word for that love? Do you remember? It's agape love, okay? Which means I want absolutely the very best for you even if I get nothing in return. So I'm going to love you lavishly even if you spit in my face. Are we going to do that? We're called to, right? That's called agape love. And I'm going to pursue your best interest even when you're out to harm me or hurt me. Right now, this doesn't work against justice. There is justice for sin and God's the ultimate judge there. But the Bible teaches us to love as we've been loved. 1 John 3 and 4 says the words agape. As you've been agape, agape others. And it's not easy to do. Just like we've heard here. Am I going to do that? Mm, I may struggle there. Right? But the first week what we said was that we've all been made by God, created by God. Everybody on the planet has been fashioned by God. And that word fashioned is important. Okay? Created means you've just come into existence. Fashioned means you've come into existence for a purpose. So there is a plan for your life. There's a plan for the experiences of your life and my life. They're not just random. It's not just a choice that I made that's outside the view of God. God knows all these things and He's allowed all this to work together to bring about His ultimate good. So He's fashioned everybody and he's crowned everybody with glory and honor so that person that gives you a hard time you got anybody in your life like that you got that uncle that comes over and puts you in a headlock and rubs your head gives you a noogie or that one grandma or aunt that always wants to kiss you on the mouth you know maybe you say oh what's going on here right not again <laughs> and so sometimes you're just around people like that and it can be difficult to to, to be in those kind of situations. But what we've got to remember is that they've been crowned with glory and honor just like I have. They've been created above all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. They've been created to have dominion and to rule this planet just like you and I have. And so rather than looking at somebody as a different color or a less than or as an annoyance, somebody I can't stand, somebody that doesn't like me, I need to look at all people as though they've been fashioned by the hand of the Master. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, we are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. And that word translated there is the word poemia, which means we're like God's poem. And so to this world, we are the, the poetry of God because we've been created to be above all things. All right, so that's kind of where we've been, right? Those four areas. And so today we're going to press into another area, and we're going to be in Romans 15. So if you'd like to turn there, we'll be there shortly. And we were in Romans 15 about six weeks ago. Um, but for a different reason, looking at being strengthened and enduring through the power of the Spirit. Today we're going to look at another thing that God says over us. Okay, so this is extremely important. Like, the more that we study and the more that we talk about this, the more that I see this being challenged in my own life. Who I am 
will directly be lived out in what I do. And the way that I see myself and the way that I think, ultimately that comes out in my actions. So I've got to define myself the way that God does. So let's talk for a minute and see if we're doing so. Here's the question. And think maybe before you answer. Have you ever done something unacceptable to be accepted? Have you ever done something that was unacceptable to do, but you did it for the purpose of being accepted by somebody else? Now, people do this all the time. And uh, an initial thought I think of is maybe like of a gang member. Sometimes you can find people who've been rejected by their peers or their family, and they will go do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do just so they can be accepted by this group of people, right? So sometimes we call that they're being initiated or they have to prove themselves. And so they're doing something unacceptable to be accepted by other people. I mean, my past is littered with doing stupid things so that other people would go, that's awesome. You know, like, oh, he's one of us. It's the whole principle of I dare you. Have you ever done a dare? You know, I dare you to eat this food, or I dare you to say something, or I dare you to go... And we do it because we know when we do, they're going to think, oh, he's tough, or oh, she's, you know, she's strong, or whatever. We do it because we want to be accepted by a group of people or by maybe a specific person. So I'd say everybody's done something, said something that we wouldn't ordinarily do or say just so somebody would look at us and go, I accept that, right? Or I'll take you, or that's one of us. That's right, you belong to our group. So being accepted is a big deal. And we know being accepted is a big deal because being rejected is also a big deal. Have you ever been rejected? Lots of these in our past too, right? Maybe you can remember a guy or girl that you asked out on a date. Or maybe you asked somebody to marry you at one point and they said, nah, don't think so. Right? That's hard. Rejected. Sometimes we go out for a sport. We've got 15 spots for 50 students. All right? And so the other 35 don't make the team, and so they feel what? They feel rejected. They feel unaccepted. Now that coach is not saying, hey, you're a reject. What they're saying is I've only got 15 spots, and the people I'm going to put on my team are the people who can perform the way that I want them to. Right? See, we live in a culture that accepts you and accepts me based on my performance. So if I perform well, I get on the team. If I perform well in school, when I fill out my transcripts to get into college, if I performed well in high school, there's a good chance I may be accepted into this college, right? Accepted. But if I've been poor in school and there are people who are better students than I am, then there's the, the chance that I may not be accepted. What about when you fill out a resume and there's 100 people applying for this one job, right? The people who are doing the hiring are looking for the person who they think meets their criteria the best. And so for a lot of those people, they're going to be rejected. And so we know that being accepted matters because being rejected hurts. We want to be accepted. Sometimes, though, people find themselves in a position where they've been rejected so many times that they no longer put themselves out there, right? It's like, I don't need your acceptance anymore. We just kind of get hard-hearted, hard towards people. But the truth of the matter is, what's driving that old hard heart is that they really want to be accepted. Even if they never utter those words underneath the surface, everybody wants to be accepted. 
So to avoid rejection, we tend to do anything and everything that is necessary. And sometimes this settles over us as Christians. You ever feel like you have to perform well to be accepted by God? Maybe you wouldn't say it that way. Maybe we'd say it the other way. I've, been, I've sinned and so I'm not, I'm not as accepted or I'm not in God's good standing right now. Right? And sometimes we view God the way we view relationships here. You know, if I've offended you or you've offended me, sometimes we kind of part ways for a little bit. I don't want to talk to you, you don't want to talk to me, and this is kind of awkward. You know, God never draws away. And He never accepts us more or less. He's always accepting us just as we are. And so today that's what we're looking at. What is our identity? We're going to talk about what it means to be accepted. All right, so Romans 15 is where we're going to be. Uh, 7 through 12 is what we're going to read this morning, so you can follow along as we read together if you've got a Bible. If not, the text is on the wall here as well today. But Paul was writing to a group of people here. You've got Jews and Gentiles, very different people, and we'll talk about them a little bit this morning. And he's trying to urge them to be accepting of one another. And what he bases that on is how they've been accepted by Christ. All right? How they've been accepted by Christ. And so we're going to work our way through all those issues there this morning. But let's, let's read here Romans 15. Beginning in verse 7, it says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And so we're seeing here, Jesus has done what He did for the benefit of the Jew and the Gentile, ultimately for the glory of God. As it's written, therefore, I'll praise you among the Gentiles. Okay, so he's basically saying, hey, Jewish people, you've got to see that this Messiah was also for the world. It wasn't just your little cup of tea. It's for everybody on the planet. And this is some Old Testament references. Therefore, I praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Okay? So here you've got four different times, connections to the Old Testament, where Paul's trying to remind these Jewish people and these Gentile people that this has always been the plan of God. Right? You're at odds with one another. You don't see the world the same way. There's one God, but you're kind of on different sides of the tracks here. You've got to figure that out. All right? And the sooner the better. So that's part of what we'll be looking into here as well this morning. It, being accepted and being accepting. And so our acceptance today will note a few things uh, that it's related on or what it's connected to. And so number one is this. Our acceptance is going to be based entirely in Christ alone. My acceptance in Christ, your acceptance in Christ or by Christ is entirely in Christ Alone. And this is often where many people stumble, right? Because we live in what kind of culture? It's a performance-based culture, right? And so the one that gets the promotion is the one who performs well. The one who gets on the team is the one who performs well. The one who gets cut from the team is the one who doesn't. The one who gets traded from the Cardinals to the Cubs is the one who's no longer of service to us, right? And they go to the Cubs and they're fantastic. That's just kind of how it works, isn't it? Right? So the point is... In a culture that is completely driven by performance, sometimes that soaks into how we view ourselves in God's standing. And what we see here, it's not at all about my performance. My acceptance with God is not at all about my performance. Just this morning, 
was in a group text with my parents and my brothers. And my mom puts out a question, a biblical question, and she's teaching fourth and fifth graders. She was this morning. And so, guys, what's the answer to this question? And so I put my answer out there, and I knew I shouldn't have. I knew it. But I put it out there anyway. And so it then chimes in the old holy one, all right, Travis, my brother who's four years older, and he says, well, the real meaning of the text is this. And he's had Greek and all this kind of stuff, and so he starts them blah, 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 whatever, okay? And then the younger chimes in and says, well, yeah, I mean, the Old Testament, all these things are types of Christ, and so it points to Jesus, so it can't be what the middle says. And so I text back, and I say, I'm never going to get beyond this. The story of my life has been, Corey, you're wrong again. All right? And so that's what I text. Corey, you're wrong again. And then I get all this love from him, you know. Like, oh, you know, we're just teasing with you and all this kind of stuff. I said, I know I'm still right, so I don't care what you Greek experts think, okay? No, I didn't say all that. But the point is, sometimes, sometimes still yet we find ourselves wanting to be accepted or that I've got to prove myself. And what I tend to prove is that I'm often wrong. And so after we got to the bottom of that text, the last little thing I put was, I might always be wrong, but I'm still always accepted. And I thought, that's the home I grew up in. My parents, my brothers allowed me to be wrong, and they corrected me when I was wrong. But my wrongness, if that's a word, never had any influence on whether or not I was a part of the family. I was just accepted. Love me, hate me, I'm accepted. Doing good, doing wrong, I'm accepted. If I'm right or wrong, I'm accepted. And so for me, that's good because I've been a performance-based driven person for part of my life uh, and just kind of crucified myself under the weight of that burden because that's not the way it works with God. Right or wrong, He accepts you. Okay? Good or bad, He accepts you. And that is not based on us. It's based entirely what we're talking about here on Christ. He's our acceptor. He is our acceptance. So let's read it again. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And so let's think about how we're accepted here for a minute. We're saying it's not performance-based, okay? So it cannot be about my good deeds. And this has always been the case. You'll find this in Ephesians 2. We're going to find it in Isaiah 64, verse 6. Does Isaiah 64, verse 6 ring a bell to anybody in the room? Isaiah 64, 6. If not, let's read it. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Okay? So on my best day, and on your best day, when we've just nailed it, we've totally excelled, God's just like, no. You're still accepted, but it has nothing to do with your efforts. Right? And on the days where I have totally bombed, and there's been way more of those than there have been on days where I laid my head down thinking I did great, the story is still the same. You're my child. My lavish love is still towards you. I've extended forgiveness towards you. You've still been fashioned and crowned. Nothing has changed. You are accepted, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in the beloved, because I've accepted you. And it has nothing to do with what you say or what you do. And so I love this about God. You know, God has not said, okay, get your act together and then I'll accept you. You know, we talk about that like how many of us clean our fish before we catch them? That sounds a little backwards, right? It doesn't work that way. And yet there are people who are walking around our cities right now going, 
the only way I could ever come into that building is I'd have to, you know, kind of get rid of my addictions and quit talking the way that I do. I need to clean myself up and then I can walk. You know, people who make statements that are not based on truth. If I walk in the building, it's going to get struck by lightning, right? No. If I walk in the building and it doesn't happen, it's not going to happen when, when you walk in the building, right? So the acceptance is there not just for the believer but for those who have yet to believe. We all have the opportunity to be accepted. And here we're talking specifically about those who believed in the acceptance that they have. So my only standing before God is in Christ alone. True? That's the only way it happens. And so we've sung here this morning, in Christ alone my hope is found. Just reminding ourselves four different times there, it's in Christ alone that everything is alright. Every, everything about us is accepted. So it's not performance based. So I just want you to know this. It's not about be a good mom, good dad. It's not about be a good son, be a good daughter. Be a good neighbor, be a good employer. Be a good coach or a good player. Right? It's nothing about being a good person. All that's based on me. My acceptance is based totally in what Christ has done alone. Nothing at all about me. All Him, all day. It's never me. And so it's in Christ alone that we find our acceptance here. Let's progress here. Secondly, our acceptance is not only in Christ alone, but it's for the glory of God. When you look up this term acceptance, what you'll find is that it means to gladly or joyfully welcome. To gladly or joyfully welcome. It means that there is approval. And it means that you are, you're in. Okay, so think about that for a moment. There's joy, there's gladness, there's approval. I mean, this is almost crazy, isn't, isn't it? There's a rebellious sinner who's done nothing but dishonor God, right? He's lived in rebellious ways. He's been hostile towards the Lord. He has not committed himself to God. And yet Jesus still gave his life for that boy. I'm just speaking of me. Okay? Why would he do such a thing? And we talk about his lavish love, but it even goes beyond that, right? Remember, when Jesus was on the cross, we weren't first and foremost in his mind. What was first and foremost in his mind? It was the glory of the Father. I'm going to bring you glory. That's the main thing I'm trying to do in my life, and I'm going to do that by showing love to these people. But if it would have been anything different, right? if it wasn't about us, it was still ultimately about the glory of God. So we're not first. God is first. The Father was first, and Jesus pointed that out in John 17, 4. Everything I've done, all the work that I've tried to complete here has been for your glory alone. And so Jesus demonstrated extreme love to extend forgiveness and to adopt us. But it's just crazy that he did this in such a way that brought him gladness. You ever think about that? And sometimes we may think of God as this kind of, he's, okay, he had to do this. You ever think that it makes God glad to extend grace to a sinner? Even when that sinner rejects. That there's a joy in providing the opportunity for this person to be accepted. You know, as the Old Testament, Isaiah said it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. How many of you would get pleasure of watching your children be bruised? None of us. We'd say that's unnatural. It would be unnatural if it wasn't accomplishing the glory of God. The author of Hebrews wrote and said, Jesus despised the cross because he endured, uh, he endured for the joy that was set before him. And so he knew what was going to happen as the result of the cross. So he was willing to bear that, ultimately, 
here for the glory of God. So here in our text, once again, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, wasn't about our good deeds, totally based on what he's done, in order to bring praise to God. So what would have been the outcome if acceptance was based to those who did well? What would you and I do? What do people do who make the team compared to those who don't? Yeah? Okay, so some who don't make it may try harder, but for some who make the team, sometimes we tend to brag a little bit, right? I got on the team and you didn't. It means I'm a little bit better than you. I'm accepted by God and you aren't. What's that mean? If we judge by the world's standards, it means my performance is better than yours or your performance is better than mine. And so if God had set it up in such a way where it was about performance, nobody would marvel at God. That makes nothing of God, right? It makes it all about earned. You're accepted because you've earned it. You're accepted because you performed well. Nothing about the goodness of God. Everything about how well we've done. And so the glory of God in all this is that He accepts wrecks, right? He accepts broken people. He accepts people who see the world totally wrong. And He welcomes us just as we are, just as we've sung today. So that's how the world system works, but that's not how God's system works. I want you to think a minute about a guy in the New Testament. Self-righteous Jew, hated Gentiles, killed Christians, turned apostle to the Gentiles. The ultimate goal there was the glory of God. What's that guy's name? Paul. Think about your own life. Your salvation, my salvation, our acceptance, it doesn't end in us. Ultimately, that's for the glory of God. See, sometimes when a person becomes a believer, when they're forgiven or adopted or accepted, lavishly loved, fashioned, all those things we've talked about, sometimes we think it ends in that person. And that's just a small part of the process. The main thing that happened the day that you believed in Christ is that the Father was glorified. That's much bigger than your salvation, much bigger than my salvation. The Father was glorified because He extended love and acceptance towards people who could no way earn it. That's crazy love, right? We'd say, we've said it already, I wouldn't love somebody that way. I love you, spit in your face, I'm done with you. God says, I love you, spit in my face, and you can be accepted. And I'm going to dishonor your name, and I'm going to extend forgiveness, and I'm going to live in ways that are rebellious, and I'm going to lavishly love you. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There will be a point, and there's a line where there will be no more, but in this day that we're living in, the day of grace, it's all day, every day. And so it's the glory of God. That's the bottom line issue. Because it would make him glad. I want you to think about it this way. I'm trying to think how to illustrate this. Let's say that we were going to buy pizza. Say everybody in Granite City is hungry for pizza. All right? Our pizza companies would love that. About 30,000 people in Granite. Let's just say, I know this is way off. Let's say there's three people per family just to help me with my second grade math mind. Okay, how many pizzas do we need? One pizza per family, how many do we need? 30,000 people, three people per family, we need, we need 10,000 pizzas. Anybody writing that check today? Let's say that we talk with Domino's or Papa John's or Pizza Hut or somebody around here, Pizza World. Don't want to leave anybody out. Any other pizza places I've forgotten. 
And they were going to give us five bucks for every pizza. How much are we spending on pizza? $50,000. Okay? So still yet. Any takers? So maybe up front, we're going to be a little bit hesitant. We're going to think about the cost. Am I going to lay down 50000 bucks to feed hungry? You know, to try to satisfy this need in these people. Let's say that maybe we finally do realize we want to do this, and so we're going to do it. I'm not saying this is our next outreach project, so don't think we're having a, a fundraiser or some kind of campaign to raise money to buy pizza for everybody in Granite one night. It's just for illustration purposes. Once we made the decision and we laid the money down on the table, what would we do? Okay, so we're committed to it, but once I've paid for it, now what am I doing? That's right, I'm going to tell everybody in town. Right? I mean, now I'm, I'm glad. Right? So maybe initially you're like, oh, that 50K just came out of my account. I'm not so excited, but it's done. Now let's just extend it to everybody. So the price has been paid. Now we're going out all over saying, hey, your need can be satisfied at this pizza place. They'll take care of you. You're hungry. They'll feed you. Right? People would come in and get pizza, and they'd say, oh, thank you, Peace Church. Thank you for what you've done for providing for our needs. Right? In some way, we would be honored in that. That's how it works here with what God has done. God gave His Son to meet the deepest need in all people. He paid the price. Jesus was in the garden saying, is there any other way to do this? He was thinking about the 50K on the table, but He went ahead and did it, and then He was extending it to all people for the glory of God. Right? And so here you see, and here we can see, everything has got to culminate in the glory of God. To be accepted by Christ makes much of God, not me. Because I'm just a sinner. And I've proven that over and over again. And I have some good days and I've got some bad days. But it's not about my good or bad. It's about what Jesus has done for me. And so I need to have a correct view. Man, if I'd laid 50K on the table, I'd go around telling everybody with joy, go get your pizza. Don't let it sit there and spoil. All right? And if somebody's not getting theirs, you get two. Right? Just make sure that the pizza is eaten. It would be exciting. That's the picture here of acceptance. There's gladness. There's approval. It's just like, I can't wait to accept you, sinner. I know your life's a wreck. I know you've got addictions. I know the thoughts that nobody else knows that you have. Come home. Just like you are. Just come home. All of that points to the glory of God. And so the world will cast aside the weak, the hurting, the homeless, the deprived, the rejected, those are the ones that Jesus extends the call to. All right, come home just like you are. I'll take you just the way you are. You got a wrong view of marriage? Come home. You don't see yourself in the correct gender? Just come home. All right, you're looking at how this world is good. You know there are people in this country right now who think we're on the best track that we've ever been on? And they believe that just like you may believe that we're on the worst track that we've been on in a long time. Jesus said, just come home. Right? You're accepted. You'll be loved here. You'll be welcomed. We'll begin this process of helping you understand some things. So he willingly accepts those who trust in him by faith. All of that for the glory of the Father because it makes him happy. He delights in accepting those who are unacceptable by this world. And then third and last here this morning, for our acceptance, remember, it doesn't just deal with us. It's going to extend beyond us. And so there's going to be some compelling here. What drives the way that you do life? 
Our acceptance compels us to accept others. And notice here, it's who are unlike us. And so remember, your identity doesn't just say, this is who I am. It says, this is how I will live. If this is who I am, this is how I live. If I'm forgiven and I'm to extend forgiveness the way I've received it, then I'll live extending forgiveness. If I'm agape and I'm commanded by God to agape others, I'm going to agape others. Okay? If I've been adopted by God and anybody on the planet can be adopted by God, then I'm going to work so that people can know that there's a God who loves them, who's paid the price for them, laid it on the table so that they can be adopted into the family. That's my calling. That's my identity. That's who I am. And to say anything different to other people makes me on the opposite side of the plan of God. And so here we're seeing our identity works in us. Yes, this is who you are. But where you have correct identity, you'll have correct purpose. Now, I think sometimes when we think about the glory of God, we think about big things. Don't we? Reach the masses. You know, have a church of, and you fill in the number. Now, I've been able to lead X amount of people to the Lord. Sometimes we think about the big number. When Paul wrote here and he said, this is what brings glory to God, what is it that brings glory to God? You remember? What's the first three words? Accept one another. Okay. Go to Iraq. Right? Go to Afghanistan, Pakistan. Go to Syria and share the gospel. You can do that. And some would think, wow. In the midst of everything that's going on in this world right now, they're going, we say, man, they're really bringing God glory. Well, maybe they are if they're following His leading. But Paul wasn't writing about do some great big thing travel the world, win the masses, build the largest church ever, what he says is, three words, accept one another. You know why he writes that? He writes that because we would have a tendency not to accept one another. We have a tendency to want to press people away. Specifically those who are different than us, even as believers. And so verse 7 again, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now let's clarify some things that are going on here for a minute. Who are the one another's? So we've got a group of people here who are known as the Jewish people. All right, so here's some characteristics of the Jewish people. These people would have been conservative. They would have been religious. They would have eaten certain foods that would have been viewed as clean. They would have observed holy days. They would have been taught from their childhood not to defile themselves with anything impure. And they would have stayed away from people who did any of those things. See, in the Jewish household, if you weren't a Jew, you were viewed as a dog. You're either Jew or Gentile. And if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile dog. You're worthless. We don't spend time with, we don't hang out with Gentiles. They're bad for our family. They're bad for our churches. They're bad for our communities. And so we're not going to have anything to do with them. So that's one side of the fence here. People under one God, these Jewish people. Now if we go to the other side of the fence, we've got Gentiles over there. And Gentiles in this time and day, they were pagan. They were idolatrous. Their sort of worship was like with temple prostitutes. Uh, they would eat any kind of food on the planet. didn't matter what it was offered to. If it's edible, we'll eat it. Thought there was nothing wrong with that. And they thought the Jewish people were just a bunch of prudes who were super legalistic. 
And what does Paul write to them? Hey Jews, hey Gentiles, what do you got to do? You got to accept one another. Man, don't you know that didn't ring well when they read that out? Hey, read that again. What did he say? Accept them. Are you kidding me? These people are way different than us. They've got way different customs and cultures and traditions and their view of religion is totally different than our tradition. There's no way I'm going to accept these people. See, this is huge. And it's definitely easier said than done. One way to say it would be this. The other person whom you are to accept is precisely the person who is radically different than you are in almost every way. Accept the person who is radically different than you are in almost every way. So who am, I, who am I most likely to connect myself with? People like me, right? We find ourselves comfortable there. And so is the goal here to fill a room of people who think the way we do? Right? So we want you to see the world the way we, you know, sometimes we even go that far. If people would just see the world the way I do, it would be a much better place. Kind of like the guy who lived by himself for a long time and never saw any problems in his house. And got married and then all of a sudden his wife was just kind of pointing out issues in the house. And, and so in his mind he thought, you know, the real problem is not me, it's who? It's her. There were no problems here when it was just me. And then they had some children and man, it just multiplied the issues. And so now this guy's thinking, the problem in the house, it was my wife and now it's whom? It's my kid. There were no problems when it was just me. Right? Sometimes we think if people would see the world the way I do, it'd be perfect. Wrong. If people saw the world the way I see it, it'd be boring. It would be incomplete. It would be in some ways inaccurate. See, I need people who think differently than me as followers of the same God to help me see the different side of the tracks. To help me see the other side of the fence. And that's uncomfortable. So that's why Paul writes and says, accept them. How do we accept them? Do they have to perform a certain way? Isn't that what the Jewish people did? They said to the Gentiles, basically convert to become a Jew and then you can follow Jesus. So you need to be circumcised. You need to avoid these kinds of foods. You need to observe these holy days. Follow these commandments. Then we'll accept you. Paul says, no, the strong accepts the weak, and the weak accepts the strong. Listen, in our day and age, it's the older generation that tends to get a bad rap. They just want things the way they used to be, and they're not willing to let go of the past, and on and on and on. And so sometimes a younger generation looks forward and says they need to change. What we need to do as a younger generation is look forward and thank God for these people and accept them. Even, even with differences, right? Even where there's difference of opinion. And vice versa. Oh, they're just young. They're immature. They're stupid. They're punks. They don't know what they're doing. All right? They're just... No, we need to accept these people because we're brothers and sisters also. Right? It's a whole lot easier to grab a team of people who think the way we do. It's just not as godly. The point here is to accept people who are unlike you just like the Jews and the Gentiles. So let's put this in our context just a little bit. Because if it doesn't get much different than Jews and Gentiles, I, I think some things have not changed a whole lot. 
And a lot of times there's struggle and there's division over things just like these. Like sometimes we talk about uh, music, a style of music in a church. And so this is holy music and this isn't. Right? And we need to be a little bit more accepting of what once was and what now is. Right? Can both coexist? Scripture says so, except one another. Right? Wasn't it Paul who wrote and said, yeah, you need to sing some psalms, sing some hymns, but sing some spiritual songs as well. Nine times in the Bible you'll find sing a new song. I just wonder if God gets kind of tired of our old melody sometimes. Maybe because we're just not thinking. We're just singing tunes. But sometimes we look at that and go, okay, I'm going to go with this group of people and I'll unite with this kind of people because they see the world, spiritually speaking, the way that I do. And they're right. Or they're better. Jew-Gentile. Sometimes we may dress in different ways or we perform services differently. We use different translations of the Bible. You know, I know that's, those things aren't necessarily here local, but I've been in some churches that are that way where I wouldn't be allowed to stand before people with the Bible that I'm using. And there's one translation that's preeminent and it's the only God-honoring translation on the planet. If you don't use it, you're a heretic. The way you dress. I remember I was talking with a church in the south and we were still in college looking at being youth pastor there and say hey you know I they were big into dress I don't think about dress a whole lot man they thought about it a ton so I said well what if I'm out mowing my yard it's 100 degrees down here in the south what can I wear oh then you can wear jeans like what are you kidding me was I right wasn't necessarily right, wasn't necessarily wrong. Were they right? They weren't necessarily right or wrong, but what I'm learning through that is you've got to be accepting of people because they have a different lens through which they're seeing the world. doesn't make them right or wrong. Under one God, we've got to be willing to accept one another. On and on we could go, but the goal is not to gather as many people who are like us, but to be willing to engage with people who think totally differently than us, specifically here those who are believers. And there's a story told of a church... It was pretty traditional in its ranks. Dressed to the, you know, dresses and suits and things of that nature. Pretty structured. Most things never really got out of hand or there was never really anything that happened that made you think, ooh, don't do that. Well, one Sunday there was a guy that walked in from a local college and he had on like a Hawaiian shirt, untucked, had on a pair of cut-off shorts and he walked up the aisle and as he's walking up the aisle, everybody's just noticing this guy. And we'd probably do the same thing here, wouldn't we? And we'd pay attention to that, maybe for different reasons even today. Somebody walking the aisle, that would be kind of out of order for how we tend to work here. Wouldn't be unacceptable, it'd just be different. But this guy walks up and he has a seat right here in the floor. And there's seats all over this room. And this guy walks in and has a seat on the floor. Well, one of the elders of the church, this gentleman, gets up. And starts making his way forward. And you know what people are thinking. Yeah. Okay. So they're watching this man come forward. And like. We're going to address your clothing. We're going to address your disrespect. And walking down here and sitting right. We don't sit on the floor. And this man walked forward. And you know what he did? He came up and sat down right beside that young man. Right. And just kind of taught people a lesson there that morning. Yeah, that's not how we ordinarily do things. Nothing wrong with how we do things. As long as it's God-honoring, that's our focus. But there's different ways of doing the exact same thing. And just because it's different 
doesn't make it wrong. doesn't make it right. It just means it's different. And so we need to be accepting of one another just as, verse 7 said, just as Christ has accepted you. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on are you doing it right or did we do it well. It's based on what He's done for us. See, what I want to be careful of is I don't want to make anybody earn from me what I did not have to earn from God. No one should have to earn from you something they did not have to earn from God. Welcomed, accepted, just as you are. Sit wherever you want. You may dress different, talk different, sing different, think different, but if we're under the same God, the same blood, part of the same family, then I, am, I have to find a way to accept you. And that's God honoring. Jew Gentile may be viewed a little different today, but the divide still exists, and it's probably in many more ways today than it was then. The compelling is to accept those who are unlike us. And so this morning, just kind of working our way through one verse, primarily verse 7 of Romans 15, we see that our identity is that of being accepted. And I'm accepted by Christ. It's not performance-based but it's for the glory of God and it's to work through me to be accepting to other people as well. So maybe I've been rejected by my parents. A lot of people on this planet right now that way. My parents didn't want me. My parents never treated me with any respect. My parents always talked down to me. Not my parents, but maybe that's your story or somebody you know. I wasn't accepted. Maybe you've been cut from a team. You've been fired from a job. You've been neglected by a family or a friend. What we've got to know today is though we may be rejected by people here based on our performance, we'll never be rejected by Christ as those who've been accepted or part of the family. He has accepted you. And so what I wonder today is this. Number one, have you been accepted? Have you been accepted? Have you realized, kind of come to the end of yourself and said, there's no way I can save myself. I can't be good. And if I could, then it wouldn't magnify God. It'd be about my good deeds. Right? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one will boast or brag. So it's not about my good deeds. So maybe today it's just like, you know what? I really believe here for the first time Jesus gave his life for me to accept me as I am. Is he going to change me? Oh yeah. He's got a ton of work to do in each of us. But he's not waiting to accept us until we get it right. So maybe today you'd like to just, number one, become a follower of Jesus and be saved. Or maybe it's you, you've got to just start learning to live in the acceptance of Christ. And stop trusting your favor to how well you perform, how many services you attend, how often you do your devotions, how much money you give, how many people you witness to, how you dress, what Bible you use, what song you sing, all that kind of stuff. And trust all of this into the divine favor of Christ. We're accepted. And those who are accepted are to be accepting. 